the murders of women in Juarez is the story that's hit me the hardest in my entire reporting career. And its relevancy isn't immediately apparent because the story we tell takes place in Mexico. But if you pay attention to the themes, you will see that these are themes and topics that are playing out in the United States at this very moment, including violence against women, police brutality, worker exploitation, threats against the press, and those who challenge power structures. We can recognize that indeed Mexico is our neighbor. If we act as allies, we can better combat these shared issues together. I'm your host, Michelle King, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. The deaths and disappearances of women and girls in the Mexican city of Juarez, which sits adjacent to El Paso in Texas on the U.S.-Mexican border, as well as in other parts of Mexico, once dominated international headlines. But in recent years, the attention has evaporated. That all changed earlier this year with the murder of Isabel Cabanillas, a young female artist and activist in Juarez. Where the assassination of the beloved feminist artist Isabel Cabanillas de la Torre has refocused the spotlight on the border city's painful legacy of femicide and violence against women. Less than two weeks ago... Isabel Isabel was just 26 when she was shot dead while riding her bike home. In the last three decades, hundreds of women, like Isabel, have been brutally murdered or raped, tortured and trafficked. These gender-based crimes are known as femicide, defined as the killing of a woman or girl because of their gender. And many of the cases remain unsolved today. In 2019, Juarez recorded nearly 1,500 killings. That's an average of four per day. Following Isabel's murder, hundreds of women took to the streets with a message to authorities. Don't let this crime go unpunished like the rest. Women fashioned ski masks out of black t-shirts with mascara and red lipstick peeking through their torn-out holes. They chanted, not one more, as they marched. The demonstration spread nationwide, demanding an end to gender-based violence. On today's podcast episode, we'll be speaking with Monica ortiz Oribe, a freelance radio reporter for NPR and PRI, and co-host of the new podcast series, Forgotten Women of Juarez. Monica will share her accounts reporting from the front line and why femicide is a critical issue affecting both Mexico and the United States, and importantly, how we can tackle this issue together. Monica was born and raised in El Paso and is the granddaughter of Mexican immigrants. Through her own experience and significant reporting, Monica discovered many shocking revelations about gender inequality and the dangers facing many women who happen to be essential workers in both the United States and Mexico. Here she shares her story. 
I was just a college student when uh, when I first found out about the murders of women in Ciudad Juarez. And in fact, I went to school. I got my undergraduate degree at a university in El Paso that overlooks Ciudad Juarez and some of the neighborhoods where these women lived. So I'll never forget walking out of a library exhibit about the murders of women in Juarez and stepping out of the library and looking out into some of the neighborhoods where these women lived. And, you know, at the time I was around their age, I shared a lot of the same physical characteristics as they did. And I just had a moment of realization that, my goodness, I could have been one of them were it not just for the lucky fate my grandparents chose to immigrate and I'm now living in the safety of El Paso and able to pursue a higher education and a profession and live safely on this side of the border, whereas they were robbed of many of the opportunities that I had as a resident of El Paso and as a U.S. citizen. And so in that moment, I felt a tremendous responsibility to use the opportunities I had that they were robbed of and tell their stories and try to say who they were, why they died, in the hopes that something could be done about it. Violence against women has plagued Mexico for years, and many of the killings of women drew international attention when they spiked in the 1990s, which was about the same time as the signing of the North American Free Trade Agreement, which saw an increase in the number of manufacturing plants in Juarez. Many of the victims were women who worked at the plants, as Monica explains. Femicides in Juarez, these murders of women, were initially called the maquiladora murders. And a maquiladora is Spanish for factory, essentially. The backbone of the Juarez economy is these foreign-owned factories. In the last 30 years, the backbone of the Juarez economy has been these foreign-owned factories. And they were initially staffed by primarily women. Uh, Today, it's both men and women. And these are at the assembly line level. These are hundreds of thousands of workers who are making less than $10 a day. And they're making components that make up the things we use on an everyday basis. And this low salary that they're paid, they can barely get by on it. They live in poverty, in outlying neighborhoods, in Juarez, that exposes them to violence and now disease under the current pandemic. And so these women were made vulnerable because they were initially attracted to these factory jobs in Juarez. And they came as immigrants without much local support in a new city They weren't paid enough to afford housing in the city center. They were forced to live out in the margins of of the city. And they came at a time when drug violence was on the rise in, in Juarez. And many of them became victims of that violence, including the women who were murdered. From 1985 to 2014, NBC reports that there were 47,000 women killed in Mexico due to their gender. Since then, there's been a steady increase, with 411 women killed in 2015, 601 in 2016, 742 in 2017, and 880 in 2018. 
Here, Monica explains why femicides are on the rise. You have these low-wage workers who are part of one part of the economy, and then you have the other part of the economy, the black market, the drug cartels, who prey on the factory workers and their children. Factory workers live in neighborhoods that are highly susceptible to recruitment by organized crime. And why is that? Because the parents are often working and away. Their adolescent children are often uncared for or home alone. And they see just the struggle of their parents and how they struggle to get by. And so it's not that hard for the adolescents who live in these worker neighborhoods to be recruited or tempted by organized crime because they, they see more of an opportunity there to make a better income. The drug cartels, because they're flush with profit, can buy their way into just every institution that's meant to protect people and then turn those institutions around to where, to where they're no longer dependable. The most vulnerable in society can no longer turn to them for help or protection or to defend them. If you just look at the statistics of violence against women, uh, particularly domestic violence, I, f- I forget who, who, who's called it a, a, a shadow pandemic. It's easy to listen to this podcast and maybe sit comfortably in the United States thinking that's Mexico's problem. And gosh, I hope Mexico figures it out. It sounds terrible, but we don't really recognize that it's happening within our own borders. Thanks to the Me Too movement, it's exposed a lot of what women in the United States have to confront in the workplace on a regular basis. And so Mexico is far from alone when it comes to dealing with violence against women and how women are held back as a result. Violence against women and domestic violence in particular is a powerful and often overlooked factor in the migration crisis. According to the New York Times, Latin America and the Caribbean are home to 14 of the 25 deadliest nations in the world for women, according to the available data collected by a small arms survey, which tracks violence globally. Despite the many risks women face immigrating, it is still lower than the risk of being killed at home, which is why women take the chance. Here, Monica explains the dangers women encounter seeking refuge. Women who are immigrants are vulnerable on multiple levels. I mean, typically they are migrants because they're leaving a vulnerable position at home, whether that be due to economic reasons or insecurity. And so they're leaving a place in which they're already vulnerable and susceptible to danger. And the journey that they undertake as immigrants puts them at even greater danger and continues their vulnerability. Because along the journey that they take as immigrants, they're subject to all sorts of things, including assault, robbery, rape, kidnapping, and just just the dangers of traveling along a long road that's in a strange country. The situation I'm describing, it mainly describes the situation of Central American women who have been the primary migrants as of late at the U.S.-Mexico border. These are the families that have been showing up in recent years in larger numbers. And so they're, they're preyed upon. Anytime you have a vulnerable population, whether it be men or women, these populations are preyed upon. 
But even if women make it to America, that doesn't guarantee a better life. Here, Monica shares the continued abuse, exploitation and inequality that women migrants face. The women are, are leaving a place of vulnerability and arriving, in the case of Juarez, to a place where they will continue to be vulnerable and exploited. I will never forget visiting one of the factory workers in Juarez in 2016. She was a single mother and lived in a neighborhood of government-subsidized housing that was built especially for factory workers. It was a three-room concrete block home, no central heating or cooling. To stay warm in the winter, she would toss plywood into a metal trash bin that then had an exhaust through a hole in a wall. Um, she struggled to afford food for her children. She struggled to find childcare. And the work that she did was just very fast-paced, debilitating work. And she was working for a company called Comscope. They're a communications company where, for example, one of the jobs they did was wire the Dallas Cowboy Stadium with Wi-Fi. In trying to get a response from the company about the conditions, these very poor conditions of, of their, their workers, I looked through their financial statements. And in one of their annual reports, they're, they're telling their shareholders, hey, we're, we're saving you money because we're locating in these low-cost geographies like Juarez. And guess what? That's saving you tons of money. And I, I'm sure the readers of that letter can't even begin to imagine what these quote-unquote low-cost geographies look like on the ground. And it's not until you visit them like I did, you walk into their homes, that you recognize just what it really means to outsource our manufacturing to a place where workers are, are left unprotected and are not earning uh, a living wage. And when I say living wage, I mean, this is something that we were discussing in this country, in the United States. And increasingly, worker protections in this country are eroding at, a, at an alarming pace to the point where sometimes I listen to myself describing the conditions in, in Juarez and I could very well be describing some of the working conditions or some of the struggles of working people in the United States. And that's very scary. Monica's reporting so clearly illustrates why femicide is a global issue. Gender inequality has no borders. To solve the U.S. immigration crisis, world leaders in Central America need to come together to tackle gender-based violence and inequality that women experience. The Murders of Women in Juarez is the story that's hit me the hardest in my entire reporting career. And I couldn't have known how relevant this story would become when we first started working on it almost two years ago. And its relevancy isn't immediately apparent because the story we tell takes place in Mexico. But if you pay attention to the themes you will see that these are themes and topics that are playing out in the United States at this very moment, including violence against women, police brutality, worker exploitation, threats against the press, and those who challenge power structures. And if we can recognize that our Mexican neighbors have been struggling with these 
very subjects for the last 30 plus years, we can recognize that indeed Mexico is our neighbor and not view Mexico as it's been portrayed under the Trump administration as our enemy. In fact, again, if we act as allies, we can better combat these shared issues together. And if we join forces, we may be stronger than if we try to fight these issues separately and as enemies. all of you to practice allyship by raising awareness of gender-based violence on your own platforms and donating to UN Women, the United Nations entity responsible for gender equality, an organization that actively works with member states to tackle this important issue. I really hope today's episode encourages each of you to take action and think of ways that you can combat gender-based violence. Before I go, just a quick reminder that you can get a copy of my book, The Fix, or the electronic or audible version from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, or at all major retailers. In reading The Fix, you'll learn how gender inequality works, what the 17 most common barriers are that all women face, and how gender inequality creates challenges to men's fulfillment of work. Most importantly, you'll learn what we can do to remove these obstacles and how we can begin to make workplaces work for everyone. So get your coffee today and let me know what you think by leaving a review on Amazon. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.